the really phenomenal app we just got, you know? Whatever it is in the end, what really defines your experience is how you know and are known by the people around you. That sure, that you're going to be able to experience phenomenal things and, uh, and you'll be in specific areas where you are going to advance in your understanding of your disciplines and you're going to be able to experience things. But I want to tell you that as you walk away from here, you might not remember everything that you experience. You might not remember every lecture. You might not remember uh, every event. But the one thing that you will remember is the people that you did it with. That within the context of your relationship with others, that it fortified and authenticated the underlining pursuit of all of those programs, of all of those events, of all of those things, had at its one goal uh, accomplishment and success in the only category that truly matters, and that is to love your Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. On Monday, we set that out, that we said that what really defines this year for you, what defines success for you is in the category that ultimately matters. And every single thing that you touch, every single thing that you do has at its end that one main goal, and that is to glorify God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it's the people you do it with. Because it's in the context of your friendships. True, sanctifying friendships. Where all of the things that you hear, all the things that you experience, all the things that you desire get worked out into real time and space into the heart of your friend. The thing that transforms you the expression that you will most have the most influence and platform and experience here is when you get to experience all of those things in loving God and then loving people. The Master's University cares about relationships. And the reason why it cares about relationships is because God cares about relationships. And we want this place to be a distinctively Christian place. And in order for it to be distinctively Christian, we must first and foremost look to the greatest commandment that was given to us by Christ himself. So open your Bible to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. As you remember, uh, Pastor Harry opened up into, into Mark 12. This is its parallel passage in Matthew 22. So as we pursue this year, as we move into this, this life together, living and learning together in the pursuit of what matters most, we want you to be able to taste of what it truly means to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to be able to love your neighbor. We want you to taste of that because we recognize that when you taste of it, you will fight for it for the rest of your life. 
So if you look there and reading the word of God to us this morning, it says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that being Jesus, uh, he is taking control of the temple here during Passion Week, and putting all of their questions that he had, he had not been thwarted in any of their discussions, and he had really had taken court, that he, had, he was showing dominion over the temple. And when they gathered together, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So reads the very words of God to us today. Might we now listen and apply? The Master's University cares about relationships because God cares about relationships. If you can see that, that the, that the context of this passage here speaks of that loving God with all your heart's heart, mind, soul, and in Mark, uh, strength, is a comprehensive command. It's all-encompassing. There's nothing that falls outside of it. What that means is, is that nothing is compartmentalized. There isn't something that's outside of that main core commitment. And look at it. It says the second commandment is like it. That means that it's, that it's similar in its quality and its nature to love your neighbor, to, to love people. That the context of, of moving in this comprehensive nature of loving God with all of your being cannot be disconnected from your relationships with people. But rather, it says that the two are intrinsically connected. Now, it doesn't mean here that if you are to love, if you are to love, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to love yourself and then you're supposed to love your neighbor in the, in the way that you promote and you love yourself. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is, is that in your all-encompassing love and pursuit of God with everything of your being, that as intrinsically as you care for yourself to sleep and to eat and to rest, the intrinsic nature of living life that we should, in a like fashion, intrinsically love others. Shortened version, you love God in every single area of your life, and you intrinsically translate that love to the people around you. Intrinsically. They're not separate. They're not compartmentalized. They're directly connected together. Do you remember 1 John? 1 John three sixteen. He said, how in the world can you say that you love God and you hate your neighbor? If you hate your neighbor, then the love of God is not in you. So too, when we look at the scriptures, so too, when we look at the greatest commandment, the, the goal and the standard by which we define success ultimately here at Masters is that it's within the category of saying, as you love God, you cannot disconnect that from the people around you. And it's so great because if you think about it, if that wasn't there, 
then it becomes this monastic piety that the Christian life becomes this, this pursuit of just loving God and knowing him and thinking about him and praying. And it, and it kind of promotes this really self-centered piety, doesn't it? Isn't that a danger for us here? That the knowledge of God and, and the exaltation of our God and, and the pursuit of him always, if it is disconnected from people, all we do is we have a self-righteousness. You put in the fact that that, that love it has a continuum, has a direct connectedness to the people around you, that it's in living out that love in the context of people then balances out the pursuit of piety and social concern. Not to say that it should all be about people and not about God and that it should be all about God and not about people. Jesus says, if you want to know the whole total of what it means to obey me, it is to love God and... To love people. If you hate people, you will hate the Master's University. <laughs> Go somewhere else. There are faster, cheaper, easier ways to get an undergraduate education than to come to the Master's University. But there is no place that remarkably pursues your heart to all-encompassing seeing the lordship of your God and to pursue an affectionate love in all of your being and to have that translated to your roommate up in Waldock than it is here at the Master's University. The Master's University cares about relationships because God cares about relationships. And if you look at it there, he says in the end, he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It's a really beautiful word picture. It actually has this word picture of a, of a picture. Oh, that's ironic. It's a word picture of a picture. So it's a picture, and it's, and it's a picture of, you know, the wire that kind of hangs the picture on, you know, that little thing you kind of hang it on there? That's the, that's the picture. He's saying, look, that there are these two commandments, and they are directly connected to one another. And it's on those two commandments that you can actually hang and summarize and hold up everything that God has revealed to you in Scripture. If you want to summarize what we should do this year together as a campus, in all of the remarkable, phenomenal opportunities that you have, which Dr. Stead talked about on Wednesday. These are remarkable days for you to go. But what he's saying is, is that it's not about what you do. It's about why you do it. Because out of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if you have not love, it's all worthless. It's meaningless. And Jesus says here that that love is translated for God and for others. We value relationships here at TMU because God values relationships. So therefore, so therefore the pursuit of this, okay, time out. So if you think about this for a minute, okay, think about this for a minute. Just breathe for a second. That was kind of heavy. Just breathe. So, I don't know about you, 
But just that thought is incredibly overwhelming to me, right? Because I don't wake up every day with, with the thought of, may your kingdom come and your will be done. I wake up in the morning saying, my will be done and my kingdom come. It's overwhelming. I look in the mirror, I look in the mirror and I see myself accurately and I go, I don't have the capacity inside of me to look at and to love God in every area of my soul and life and every context and to have that translated to the conversations and the people around me. I just don't have it inside of me and neither do you. But praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that the gospel redeems us in that, doesn't he? The fact of the matter is, is that you don't have to swim upstream as to your pursuit of loving others. You want to know why? Because you were created to love others. You were created as a relational being. God created you as humanity to be one that reflects his image, and God himself is in relationship. Therefore, it is pursuant of us to be able to reflect that image in how we relate to others. It is unchristianly to live in isolation. Because God himself is in relationship. But the problem is, is that sin in creation, that's out of Genesis 1.27, uh, then comes Genesis 3, and sin enters into the world. Have you ever noticed this? That when sin enters into the world, two things happen. First, they hid from God. And secondly, they hid from each other. The exact opposite of what Christ is saying in the greatest commandment is the implication of sin. The implication of sin is that I don't want to run towards my God and I don't want to run towards others. I want to hide and be in isolation. But then praise to the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of chapter 3 in Genesis that there is a promise that Jesus will come and Ephesians 2 says that he's come and he's conquered sin and death. And what has he done? He's brought reconciliation to God and reconciliation to others so I don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to hide anymore. The beauty and the power of the gospel is that you don't have to run, but rather because of Jesus Christ, you can pursue your God and pursue others. The axis by which the vertical pursuit of a love for God and the horizontal love for people, the axis is our union with Christ. You cannot love God or love people apart from the work of Christ. So in the glory that it is of pursuing those things that were utterly dependent upon Christ and the gospel. And doesn't that free your soul up that you don't have to just pull yourself up from your bootstraps and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to my class and they're going to see how much I love God and love people. But rather, we should go to class, and we should go up to our dorms, and we should be in our local church saying, God, help me to love you and to love others. For you have redeemed me to do that very thing. Because isn't it true that the actual expression of the greatest commandment is dependent upon the gospel, and it is the greatest expression of the gospel in the world? 1 John 4, 19 says that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. My ability to love him comes from his gospel redeeming action. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says that the love of God controls us. Why? Because we've concluded this, and one has died for all, therefore all have died, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for their sake died and was raised. 
I have the ability to pursue and to love you. Why? Because the love of God that's been displayed to me, that gives me the chance to reconcile with him, gives me the ability to reconcile with others and to express that love. People will know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ by how you love one another. It's right out of John 13. Don't we live in an age where everybody is, in, is fragmented? Everybody is in conflict? That it's of epic national proportions. And the question becomes, what's the answer to these things? You wonder what the answer is? The answer is the gospel. The transformative work of the gospel in your heart gives you the capacity to be renewed in your connection and your pursuit of your love for God, and it gives you the capacity to be able to love others. Therefore, when you pursue love of God of your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength in every academic discipline and every detail of life, and you reflect that as a continuum to the people around you, that they don't celebrate you. They don't celebrate an institution, but they worship their God. Image-bearing, gospel-proclaiming, greatest commandment following. Don't get hung up on all the, all the imperatives of the Scripture and completely back away from this massive indicative. Relationships at TMU matter. They're important because relationships matter to God. In the end, the goal of these relationships has one goal at its end, and that is to develop and to grow into Christ-likeness. The perfect expression of loving God and loving people is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are like and being transformed into his likeness. So therefore, the context of our love for others should have one goal, and that is to help others to grow into Christ's likeness. In the end, every academic discipline, every activity, every conversation, every pursuit has at its one goal here that you might grow into likeness of Jesus Christ, period. Anything lesser than that is in a category of which is not defined by biblical success. A distinctively Christian education, therefore, develops the whole person. It's not fragmented and isolated ivory tower research and then disconnected activities and extracurricular um, travel around the world, but rather a distinctively Christian education says we have the truth and we've been reconciled to God and all of it is a context for me to be able to worship him. All of it is a context for me to be able to walk with you and to help you to walk into Christ-likeness. Because if it's not, then it's not a true Christian education. Therefore, the pursuit of the twin law of loving God and loving people out of the gospel-transformed life removes any compartmentalization, and then it gives delight to look into history and music and art and economics and the sciences and education and the master's cup. 
For a moment, if you believe that those things are compartmentalized outside of your overall comprehensive development and education. You don't understand what it means to be distinctively Christian and to monitor it by the greatest commandment and the true success of what God called you to be. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ that we have a place like this that doesn't compartmentalize those things. And that can look with the pursuit of loving God and loving people at the Monty's softball tournament and to be able to go and to pursue and to study for the MCAT and to be able to prepare and to know what Martin Luther's life is and to be able to get ready for rehearsals for our performing arts. And all of those things is not fragmented. Why? Because our God is not fragmented. He is whole and Lord over all, and his word is sufficient for all things. So don't think for a second that your life and your relationships is outside of that. The most transformative, influential place in your heart is a loving believer of Jesus Christ who is your friend who lives out a love for God and a love for people in an ordinary, distinctive, comprehensive way in your life, giving you a taste and a model of what it means to live as redeemed humanity. And they get A's in their class. They work hard in practice. They memorize their lines. They sit well on the bench at that same softball tournament. And that helps you to grow into Christ-likeness. Yea, verily, the image of the Master, which is why we're here, which is why we're here. And the beauty and the exploration of having all those things come alive to say that my identity isn't in my major, my identity isn't in my dorm, my identity is in Jesus Christ, and now I don't have to worry about all the details of the law, but yet I can pursue a wholehearted love for God and have that translated to my friends and the people around me, and as whatever I end up doing, I can do all of that to the glory of God because all of of the law hangs on those two. Now I'm getting excited. Because it changed my life. The first time that somebody came and pursued me was up in that very dorm that some of you sleep in today. They'd never seen or experienced somebody live a whole life in their love for God. And I had never had anybody pursue in a love for me that made me want to grow and to taste and to see that God is good. Once you taste of it, you will fight for it for the rest of your life. Relationships matter at the Master's University because relationships matter to God. All of a sudden, the one and others now just become alive, don't they? You know, sometimes if you're not thinking about the oneers, sometimes they need like this big long list of like how you have to relate to people. Like, well, you got to serve people, you got to love people, you got to care for people, you got to bear up with one another's burdens, you got to forgive people, and then I was like, ah, it's kind of overwhelming. It's like I'm just going to go to Menchie's and we'll call it a day, right? 
This is too much for me. I can't do it. You're stressing me out. But all of a sudden now, the one another's become this beautiful platform. Like the first time that you saw in Ochem how things develop and move together, the first time where you actually spend time with another person and that you pursue the one another's out of a love for your God and a love for them, and then all of a sudden life becomes alive to you. You begin to actually taste and see of what it means to live the Christian life. So the one another's become this, this beautiful vista of how to relate to one another. Not a bunch of rules by which we need to obey, but rather a buffet of which we get to taste and share and see and explore and to take pictures of and to post. That was a joke. That was a joke. Loving one another, valuing one another, sacrificing for one another, sanctifying one another, reconciling one another, now become the beautiful joy of your life. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we could stir one another up towards love and good deeds. So for the next few moments, let us consider together how to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. I want to give you some practical applications. You're like, great joke, got it, thanks. Uh, I heard that at Wow Week like three years ago. Um, (laughs) What else is new? Um, let's talk about how we can put together some practical things. Fridays is about taking our theology and working it out practically. So let's talk a little bit about some practical things. Here are a few for you to consider. Here's the first one. Um, Invest in your relationships. You only have so much time in a given day, right? And you have to make value judgments as to what you're going to invest in and what you're not going to invest in. One of the practical ways is on your weekly schedule, place in there to invest in other people. Put on your schedule a lunch that you can have open so that you can have lunch with with someone on your wing or you can sit next to a a professor or that you can invite uh, your local pastor to come and to join you. Set time on a regular basis. I love wing breakfasts. I love wing dinners. I think they're the best. You want to know why? Because you just say, hey, look, we're all going to spend time together. And it takes time, doesn't it? Look, it's not unspiritual for me to put a date night on my calendar. It literally says date night on my calendar every week. Is that wrong? Is that like not organic and natural? No, it means that I got a lot going on and I got to work hard for Heidi and I to be able to have a moment undistracted together that we can invest in our marriage. Your relationships aren't just going to happen. You need to be able to do that now. Now, time out. I know you're swimming in people, right? And you're like, give me a break. I don't need to plan because I'm around. I brush my teeth next to five people. So there's no way that I'm not going to be, you're telling me I got to make time for people? Are you kidding me? I'm trying to make time for not people, right? (laughs) But what I'm saying is, is investing, investing. Sitting next to somebody and watching Netflix and brushing your teeth is not investing in relationships. The fact of the matter is, is that Romans 12 says that we belong to one another that we're members of one another. I have a responsibility, and my responsibility to you is not that you follow this handbook, not that you get good grades. My responsibility to you is that you grow into Christ's likeness. Those other things will follow in turn. 
Are you investing that way? Do you value your friendships? Do you see them as a platform for not only for them to grow into Christ-likeness, but for you to grow into Christ-likeness? Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says that we are to pursue one another. Why? Because our hearts won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If I'm left by my own self, the inertia of my sin isolates me from people. But if I pursue, if I'm intentional, if I, if I know that relationships matter, then I'm going to spend time and in investing and in saying, I'm going to make the essence of our relationship to be about growing into Christ-likeness. And we're going to do that at the softball tournament. We're going to do that filling our car to a local church. We're going to do that by getting an A in our OCHEM class. We're going to do that by not falling asleep in the back of chapel. And I see you right now, that one right there. Just kidding. That person almost had a heart attack. <laughs> ah, ah. And it's about knowing, isn't it? Investing. It's not just giving, but it's receiving. First Thessalonians 2, 8 says, not only am I giving you the gospel, but I'm giving you my own very self. Why? Because I love you. You can't invest in relationships one-dimensionally. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Or one day you're like eating, you know, you're eating your cereal and your peanut butter toast on that one night in the calf, right? And you're eating there and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I think I like that person more than they like me. And I'm not talking about boyfriends. I'm not talking about girlfriends. I'm talking about somebody on your wing where you're like, you know what? I feel like I'm doing, like, have you ever been there? But the fact of the matter is, is that at times that can be because the other person isn't willing to open up their life to you. You can't invest in relationships if you're only pursuing. You have to welcome them in. You have to know someone and you have to be known. Relationship can't be happening at a distance in one hour a week time for 15 weeks. It just can't happen. But it's knowing and being known. Investing in relationship also means this. Pick your friends wisely. You can't be friends with everybody. Can I just tell you that? I know I'm like Mr. Relational Guy. You can't be friends with everybody. You can't. You should be kind and, and thoughtful. You should exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, interpersonally with those around you so that they would go into Christ-likeness. But you can only be friends with some. Pick your friends wisely. What is the essence of your friendship? What are you investing in? Is it the fact that you both like to play hockey? Is it the fact that, that you connected online? Is it the fact that you like the same independent films or you like to watch particular sporting events? Or is it the investment of your life to be about pursuing Christ Jesus? Do you remember the first time you had that conversation with your friend? I mean, that genuine, you know, I don't know, guys always have this conversation. It's usually when you're hot tubbing for some reason, you know, or like barbecuing, right? Or there's like, a, there's like some sort of bonfire or you're, or you're like playing frisbee golf or something like that. Usually like some sort of moment where guys are like doing that, they're playing frisbee golf and one guy turns to the other and goes, um, what are we doing? The guy's like, oh, playing frisbee golf. And I, <laughs> like, no, no, seriously. What are we about? Play frisbee golf all the time. I want to grow into Christ-likeness. Are you with me? Are you ready to be about these things? What are some intentional things that we can do to invest in our friendship that isn't weird, that doesn't feel like some sort of strange Puritan prayer, but it's just us living together normally in a way that doesn't compartmentalize our life and loves our Lord God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we are going to love each other 
Have you had that conversation with your friend? No, we understand that. Maybe you don't. Have that conversation. Every meaningful, significant relationship and friendship that I've had in my life, at one point or another, I can mark an Ebenezer when we had that conversation. You know, we're not going to do those things anymore. We're not going to joke about that stuff anymore. We're not going to do these things, but rather we're going to be about this, and we're going to do that. Why? Because I love my God, and frankly, I love you. And I want our friendship to be more than just the sum total of doing classes and things together. Another one that you can think of as we consider together is to pursue intentional conversations. Pursue intentional conversations. Ephesians 4 15 and 16, Ephesians 4, 29, says that we are to speak truth to one another, that we are supposed to use words that are kind and appropriate. We're to use words that have at its goal to build up the body of Christ. So the thought is this, have you turned the corner in your conversations? You can have a great conversation in all kinds of contexts. One of my favorite ones is watching uh, men's baseball. Me and DH, we'll hang, out, we'll hang out in the baseball and we'll sit in the visitor section and we get to good stuff up there. We talk about life together, asking questions. Don't underestimate the power of a beautiful and thoughtfully posed question. One of the most beautiful things that your friend can say to you is that, you know what, I've never thought about that before. And that not only do you just think about the next thing you're going to say, but you listen to them. You understand them. You know them. And in the process of that, you're able to reflect back to them their own thinking, which helps them to grow into Christ-likeness. Reflect back to your observations. When you talk in conversation, go, this is what I'm hearing you say. Am I hearing that right? Never make assumptions on your friends. Some of the most horrible things that happen in friendships is when friendships aren't just intentional about their conversation. They just start assuming things from one another and they actually don't talk. But to actually pursue intentional conversation with the goal of knowing and being known, with the goal of loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to be able to express that in your love for others so that you can increase in your devotion to Christ Jesus and love him in every context of your life. Practice at lunch. When I, work with, when I work with students and we talk about how to develop friendships, I tell them, I go, come to lunch. Every time you come, come with two questions. And that at the goal during your lunch is that you're going to ask two good, thoughtful questions. It doesn't have to be what's your thought about exegesis of, you know, Romans 7, 24. It's just saying, what did you think of chapel today? Today in my class, uh, I asked a question one of the students. I said, what was, your, what was your walk away from this week? There was a lot of things that happened. What was a walk away? Just a thought that, that opens up their heart and that as a man of understanding, you draw them out. Not with the goal of just being a friend, but with the goal of obeying the greatest commandment. Put your phone down. Nobody likes it. Can I just say that? Nobody likes it. You don't like it. I don't like it. Okay? That when you talk with someone, you should always think first and foremost, the person in front of me is more important than the person on my phone. Okay? The person in front of me is more important than the person on my phone. We could talk later about, I have a little philosophy of like, you know, how you do that and, you know, how to work all that stuff out. And I only pick up for a couple of people when I'm in conversation. And the one is, is my wife. When she calls, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> because she is more important than you. And if John MacArthur calls, but he hardly ever calls. 
Give consideration to others. Give consideration to others. Romans 12, 3 says that you have, to be, you have to be thoughtful not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Frankly, one of the ways that you cultivate relationships with people around you is just to lift your head up and to see what's around you. Be aware. Be observant. See. Watch people's facial expressions. See how they're acting. Pull your earbuds out. Give your eyes up. Say hello. Connect with people. That just be observant of the things that are around you. Not that you're policing anything, but just that you want to be aware of what's happening. And it's hard to consider others as more important than yourself, which it says in Philippians 2, if you don't consider yourself rightly. If you're not thinking of yourself in the way that you ought to think with sober judgment, as it says in Romans 12. The way to be a good friend to others is first and foremost to think, not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. And to be able to think of others more. Philippians 2 says that you are to, you are to love others and you are, to, you are to think of them as better than yourself. Walk down the hall. Do you walk down the hallway and you see, those, you see those doors and you go, that person's better. That person's more important. I'm going to consider their needs before my own. I'm not going to do that. It's being patient with others. Can we just say that? Love, 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 okay? Love is patient and it's kind and it doesn't demand its own way it doesn't demand its own way that's what it means to love somebody that's what it means to be considerate of someone it's proverbs nineteen eleven says that it's your glory to overlook an offense don't be easily offended Pursue and to love others. Colossians 3.13 says, this is one of my favorite verses. It says, bear up with one another and forgive one another. What that means is, is there are things that annoy you that you just have to overlook. It's not a sin that this dude's got really bad breath, right? I'm going to overlook that. I'm going to bear up with the fact that you don't know what scope is, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that when I say, look, <laughs> three people went, dude, that's you. <laughs> so it happened right there, happened over there. Like, Sorry, bro. But what happens is, you know, look, I'm going to bear up with that. There are some people that are mourning people, right? There are some people that are like, that are like a, um, a golden retriever looking for a ball at six o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> and you know who you are. And there are those of others of you that are like a sleepy cat that are like, dude, when I'm ready, when I'm ready get up when I'm ready. And the two of you are roommates. <laughs> you don't have to make that a sin issue. You just bear up with them. You overlook it. You're considerate of them. You realize that they're different than you, and that's okay, and you overlook in love. But if there's a pattern and they do sin against you, forgive them freely, beautifully. Why? Because loving God and repentance and forgiveness is a beautiful worship of our God and a wonderful display in love for others. Last one I want to highlight here is this. Celebrate unity through diversity. Celebrate unity through diversity. Okay, so everything, if, if you don't hear anything, hear this. All of that. Loving God with everything that you are. Having that translate to your relationships with others with the goal of being more like your master. That context, what that does is it opens up cultures, personalities, life experience. 
that doesn't say that those things are authoritative. Our identity with Christ is what binds us together. And then I get to explore my friend from Kansas. I don't know what it's like to live in Kansas. And I get to see that my friends both internationally and domestically that have cultures different than me. Meet new people, explore new things, taste new foods, take a hard professor. Go on a road trip with people that you know on your wing. Explore and ask questions. Humble yourself and to enjoy that the beauty and the diversity of how God has created his people is from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you can, in worship pursuit of everything in your being and love for him and love for others, is seeing all of that expressed. Music, art, history, why you got that tattoo, where you're from, all of those things are under the lordship of Christ. And you get the opportunity to explore it because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to think about your unity, but rather you get to enjoy how good and great our God is. And we get to do that together. Relationships matter here because they matter to God. And I love the fact that we get to do it because there's no other place on the planet that I'd rather be than to be here with you. Because as much as I want to give and serve and pursue and to help you to do those things, you give that to me and to my kids, to my family. And that's worth coming to the Master's University for. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray together. Lord, you're good to us. I thank you for the ways that you have gifted this place, how you've designed it, how you've given us so much rich opportunities. We just want to pray even now that you would set before us uh, a pursuit of the things that matter most and in the greatest context in which to do them. Might you cultivate, oh Lord, a love for you and a love for others so that we might taste and see that you are good. So we pray all these things now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.